It's Tuesday of Passover week. It's Tuesday before Jesus' crucifixion, before his death, before his resurrection, and things are building. The tension is building. The confrontation is mounting between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And, and it's going to start ramping up big time here. Remember, he has already had his, we call it the triumphal entry. He's ridden into the city, not like anybody really expected. He goes to the temple. He, he walks in and begins cleaning house. He's tipping over the, like the currency exchange that they had in there. He's dumping the tables. He's driving out the people who are buying and selling in the temple courts. And he says, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you guys have made it a den of robbers. And not robbers like just thieves, but like, like brigands. And like, you guys are just destroying this. So now it's Tuesday and he's coming back to the temple. That's where we pick up. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Like dumping the tables, driving people out. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, that's John the Baptist, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. You can see Jesus is starting to get pointed, isn't he? Talking to his leaders, answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them. This is chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables, them being the scribes, the chiefs, or the chief priests, the elders. And he says, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him. And sent him away empty handed. Again he sent to them another servant. And they struck him on the head. And treated him shamefully. And he sent another. And him they killed. And so with many others. Some they beat. Some they killed. He had still one other. A beloved son. Finally he sent him to them saying. They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. 
What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. They leave Jesus, but they are plotting. They're actually, I mean, you can tell in this, Mark tells us they perceived the parable was against them. So who are the, uh, these wicked tenants in the vineyard? The religious leaders. <laughs> Told you it's heating up, isn't it? The, the confrontation here between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, those who are meant to be going to God on behalf of the people, going to the people on behalf of God, those that are meant to be this, this wonderful, like helping people connect and find God. They've corrupted the whole thing. We have no churches like that in our day, right? <laughs> if only that were true, right? If only that were true. These leaders, they come to Jesus. And they're trying to trap him. When they're saying, by whose authority are you doing this? It's not because they want to just sit down and learn from Jesus. Oh, you're doing this in this authority. Well, great then. Welcome. They're coming asking him this because they're, they're trying to trap him. But Jesus is so wise in this. And the question he asks, it's actually very, it's not just a pointed question where he's like, answer me. It's what he says was the baptism of John from heaven or from men. Well, what was John's baptism? If you go back to Mark one beginning, we find out Mark is, is, He's preaching a, a baptism of repentance, a baptism of you're turning back to God. You're turning from your ways to God. And then John says to the people, uh, in fact, John's gospel tells not John the Baptist, but John, the disciple of Jesus, his gospel tells us Mark is saying about Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he says, I jotted it down, um, John 1.34, he says, I have borne witness that this, Jesus, that this is the Son of God. So when Jesus is saying back to them, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from man? The implications, if they say from heaven, that yes, John is a prophet, that when John says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, like this is the son of God. I'm bearing witness to this. If they say, yeah, it's from heaven. Then they have to be recognizing that Jesus is the son of God. And really what they want is they want this to come out of Jesus mouth. They want to hear Jesus say this. And, and we're going to get there a couple of chapters later and a couple of days later when Jesus finally does say from his own mouth, 
yeah, I'm the son of God. They say, we don't need to hear anymore. Kill him. So you know what's going on here. Jesus is trying to get them to say it. But he says, I'm only going to tell you if you will answer my question. Which, of course, they don't want to answer. And they're afraid to answer if they say for man so that they don't have to recognize him. They say for man, they're afraid of all the people around them because everyone around, all the common people are saying, John the Baptist, this man is a prophet. This man is a prophet of God. And they're afraid of the people. I was reading this and I thought, wow, what a reminder to me personally, hopefully for all of us, that I need to not be afraid to say what is true. Even if the people around who are listening may not want to hear the answer or like the answer, I need to be able to speak what is true and what, what does God's word say. Um, and so as best as I can, I make that commitment <laughs> to do that. But I wonder, are we questioning Jesus? Like, how are we questioning Jesus? It's okay to ask Jesus questions. It's okay to open your Bible and read things and go, what the heck? I don't understand this. What do you mean by this, Jesus? What are you asking of me here? Some of the things that, are, that he asks, and we're going to get into in the next few weeks, you're like, boy, you're messing with my world. It's okay to ask questions of Jesus. But the Pharisees, the, not the Pharisees here, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people, they were questioning Jesus more to dismiss and be able to get rid of him. It's like to, let's get rid of him so that we can continue our lives the way we want to. I want to continue forward with my agenda versus continuing forward now submitting to Jesus' agenda. Right? So I think it's, yeah, there it is on the screen. Why are we questioning Jesus? Why are we questioning his word? And I don't mean questioning like, are we doubting his word? I mean, when we're questioning things, are we trying to get out of something? Or are we coming with a willing heart to submit? It's a very different motive, isn't it? And I'm not, we're not trying to, I'm not going to answer that for you today. I can't answer that for you when, when you're hearing from Jesus. But I want, to, I want to get into this parable for a little bit. The parable, it's one of those words we throw out there. It's like a wise story with a purpose. It's a teaching story. What's the word we use for it these days? Like fable or uh, there's another word for it. I'm blanking out on it. Any great English people? Analogy would be kind of, kind of there. Hmm? Anecdote. You know, we're coming up with different words. None of those are quite the word I'm thinking of that I can't find. It's like, nah, it's okay. We get it. It's a story that's about something deeper. So this is the, the parable of, in my Bible it says the parable of the tenants. The parable of the vineyard. And so he, Jesus is speaking to them again. He's not answering their question directly. If he answers their question directly, they're going to kill him. He knows it. 
the time is not quite there. Two more days, he'll do it. So he says this, this parable, right? The man plants a vineyard and, and he, like the vineyard is there because of him. He plants it. He built the wall around it. He builds a tower in it. He sets the whole thing up. And then he entrusts it to tenants. And the role of the tenant there, they can, they can basically farm it. And then they're, they're, they should be returning what is due to the landowner. That's just, that's how that works, right? They, a percentage of it is to go to him. But when it comes time for that, it's the right time. And the landowner says, okay, I'm just sending a, a servant to get a percentage. I'm sending the servant to get what is due to me. They don't want anything to do with it, right? And they go through one servant, two servants, three servants. The third one they kill. Like they've beaten one. They've cracked one over the head. And it goes through multiple servants. I'm thinking, wow, this is the history of the people of God, actually. Jesus is just summing up the history of God's people. Constantly, God's sending prophets, calling them back to him, calling them to repent, all the way to John the Baptist, the final prophet before Jesus. All the way, and they killed John too. Time and time and time again. And God says, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son. Now, Jesus is careful. He sends his one other. He has one other he can send, a beloved son. And what do they do? They plot to kill because they say, if we can kill him, this is the heir. And then it's all ours. I don't know what kind of legal system they were operating in, but this is messed up. (laughs) If we kill the heir, we can keep it. (laughs) And the religious leaders get this, right? This is about us. This is about us. And he says, we, we sang the song, Cornerstone, right? Christ alone, Cornerstone. The reason we sang that one today is because of this verse. Verse 10 and 11. Jesus says, the stone that the builders rejected. The son that the builders rejected. The son that the tenants rejected. Has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Isn't it interesting that he says this? And then all the more, they just want to. They want to arrest him. They want to get rid of him. They want to destroy Jesus. They're, they're going to fulfill this parable even as they're trying to stop it. And we're going to turn, it's going to go up there on the screen. We're going to read one more passage. What do we do with this? Have you, haven't you read the cornerstone? Cornerstone. Well, let's see how, uh, how Paul, the apostle Paul, interpreted this. We're going to go over to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and 2. The whole book is great. But Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. I'd really love to back up and preach about 20 more verses here, but 19. 
So then you, now this is speaking to the church, the people of God, who we come from all kinds of different backgrounds. You, who are, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are no longer outsiders, is the point. You're no longer considered as, oh, you are foreign to the things of God. You're foreign to the people of God. Paul says, you guys, remember that he said, what's, what's the, what's the vineyard owner going to do? He's going to destroy those tenants and he's going to give it to, to others. Okay. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The whole structure being joined together grows into a whole temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When Jesus said, haven't you read this scripture? He's, he's actually referencing Psalm 18, verses 19 through 22. It says the same thing. Stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. That same passage is where we get the whole Hosanna, save us, uh, that had just been shouted by the people uh, a couple of days before. It's the same passage. Only Jesus is referencing right after that. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is, and and people interpret this two different ways. Theologians will say the cornerstone is like the foundation stone, like the corner piece where like two walls come together and everything is built off of that. And then other theologians say, actually, when they're talking about the cornerstone, they're talking about the capstone that holds everything together. Uh, and there's, there's uh, kind of two camps, one saying foundation, one saying finish. And I think, great, both are good. We have plenty of scriptures that actually speak to both of those. The point is this, Jesus is the central focus. He is, he is foundational to everything. It's all about Jesus. Our whole remarkable series is subtitled. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The one that the, the builders rejected, the one that the religious leaders, the, the chief priests, the ones that were kind of crafting what it meant to engage with God And they actually rejected the Messiah. The one that was rejected, God has seen fit to establish his son as the cornerstone. And Paul says, now because of this, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God. The vineyard owner representing the father, representing God, the father, the vineyard owner is giving the vineyard to others. It's us. 
It's us with Jesus as the cornerstone. But the dwelling place for God, not a physical temple, not a stone temple any longer in Jerusalem, you and me are being built. How does he say it? Let me read it again. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then, and here it is, verse 22. This is, this is it. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Jesus is the, is the, is the focus. It's all about him. And yet the temple isn't, it's not a stone place. It's not this building. It's not, you know, pick your fanciest, greatest looking church building in town. That's not the temple. That's not the dwelling place of God. You are. You are. We are. We're being built together as we come together and we go, Jesus, we're submitting to you as the son of God. We're, we're listening to John the Baptist. We're not rejecting what he said. We're listening. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as John said, I'm testifying, I'm bearing witness that this is the son of God. This is the Christ. All of us who say yes, we affirm, we believe, we submit to this. We submit to Jesus as Lord. You now become another stone in that temple. You become a living stone. All of us, living stones, built, fitted together, woven in together, if you will, to house together the presence of God in Spokane, Washington. To represent the kingdom of God, not only in Hilliard, but across our city. Lynn living in the South Hill. Woven in with us, but representing Christ on the South Hill. And wherever you live, like woven in together, being built in together, but a dwelling place for God by his spirit across our city. Maybe some of us could be like dwelling places together as we go ride bikes. Huh? Mm. <laughs> right? Yes. This is what I want to kind of, I want to leave us with today is just that God is building. It's his vineyard. He's entrusting that vineyard to us, but we get to be partnering in building this dwelling place for God, this place for God's kingdom to move among us, the will of God to be done, the freedom of God to be released, the blessings of Christ to be extended. This is God's plan. We get to be a part of it. Wow. Wow. Father, thank you so much that even Jesus, the week he was going to die, and he knew it that that week, and he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Lord, 
The good news is marvelous in our eyes. That you being rejected through that rejection have become the cornerstone. When you were killed and thrown <laughs> thrown out of your own inheritance, you've actually now brought us in and included us. Made us heirs and citizens together. Wow. And we just worship you, Jesus. We exalt you. Guys, just from your own hearts. You mean, if you can say it, just like, Jesus, I say it from my heart. Yes, you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. And I echo the words of John the Baptist. And I say, yes, you are the Son of God. Lord, I submit my life to you because you're worthy. You're the son. I submit to you. Have your way in my heart. Forgive me where I've tried to cast you out and carry on with my own agenda. Lord, I want your agenda. I want to see that dwelling place for God built in my city. I want to see that dwelling place for God built in my family, built in my home. Lord, build us together, weave us together, mortar us in together as only you can do. Build your kingdom here. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.